Good morning, and how are you doing today? Good, great to see you. Turn to the book of John chapter 4. You said, Mark, we've been there three weeks. I know, it is so good. I have to finish up chapter 4 with you as we study through the book of John in our series um, that you might believe. And so it's a powerful message to us, I believe, not because of me, but because of the scriptures that are given to us by God. Uh, it's, a, it's a narrative that we're going to share through a few verses of scripture as we finish up John chapter 4 this morning. But I had this thought as, as I was preparing for this message this today is that um, regarding friendship, and this regarding friendship, oh, it actually is John chapter 4, verse 46. If you're wondering where we are, that'd be good to tell you. Regarding friendship, that, um, you know, if you have a very close friend and, and people see you with that individual a, a lot, then um, has anyone ever said to you, hey, maybe you guys should date? You know, they see you together, you're friends, and they say, well, maybe you should date, right? And, and somebody, maybe you're saying, well, yes, yeah, somebody said it to me recently, but I'm already married. Then you have bigger fish to fry in your life, right? Yes, there, there's a whole different set of problems there that we need to address with you. But like you're unmarried and you're constantly with this individual. And someone says, hey, you should really date this person or maybe that you're meant to get married with each other. And, and your response to that is, dude, you know, it would be like it would be like dating my brother or my sister, right? Yes. And, and I don't know if you've ever had that happen. And, you know, apart from all the South Carolina jokes that we can make there, right? Exactly. That that it is we, we've had that happen most most in our life. I know Reba and I, when we were dating prior to marriage, that we were like very best friends. And, and I know Reba said for a long time that she could never see herself marrying me because we were such very, very close friends. We were like buddies. And so, hey, here you are, 40-some years later, and you know this is the way it turns out for us. And I'm so thankful for that, yes. So why would you say, well, I couldn't marry that person because it would be like marrying, or I couldn't date them because it would be like marrying or dating my brother or my sister? Well, the thought is this, that you become so familiar that you could never be intimate. Now, that's an oxymoron, because the word familiar and intimate mean the same thing. But you have become so familiar that you could never be intimate, yes, that your relationship with one another, and this applies greatly to our narrative in a moment, that your relationship with one another is based on the knowledge of each other, that you care for each other, yes, that you have a blast being together, absolutely, but you don't intimately know that other person's heart. You don't intimately know their heart. Because to know someone's heart is the greatest act of intimacy. It really is. Far beyond that of sexual intimacy, it's to know someone's heart. To intimately know their life, their heart. So it makes a relationship at that point extremely personal. Yes. And so when I begin to think about this and I look at this text and, and this, um, this narrative that we're going to talk about for a few moments together, I said there have to be some big ideas here that we can share throughout this teaching. So there's four of them, and it leads or connects very well to what we just talked about for a moment, and that is that have we become so familiar with Jesus that we have forgotten who he is? Have we become so familiar with him that we've forgotten who he is? And the, and the second big thought for this morning is that embrace contentment. May it become your close companion. And the third would be this, that Jesus never tempts us. He doesn't. Um, he never tempts us to sin, but he does test our faith at times. Testing is always for our benefit and not his. And the fourth is this, that the unreasoned happens in our lives when grace and faith collide. It's the narrative that you and I find at the very end of chapter 4. It's this obscure story that we find about the people in Galilee and Jesus going back there from Samaria 
and we find there is an official there that approaches to Jesus about the health of his son and about healing for his son. And we don't talk about it a lot because it kind of pales in somewhat of significance to the story of the woman at the well that we've talked about for the past two weeks together. So let me read to you as we start our narrative together in John chapter 4, starting with verse 43. It says this, And after the two days he departed from Galilee, that Jesus leaves Samaria. You know, he's met the woman at the well. They beg him to stay two days further. Many in Samaria come to believe Christ. He's risked all kinds of boundaries, both that of religious and cultural, to reach the Samaritans as a Jew himself. So he's leaving Samaria, and after two days he departs for Galilee... And then this very odd verse that's placed in here in verse 44. It says this, For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. And you wonder, well, why, does, why is that in there sandwiched right in the middle of him coming back to Galilee? Well, it really ties into what he said way back in the book of John. We read it already in John 1 and 1. He says that he came to his own and his own did not receive him. So there's a reason for this conversation. So when he came to Galilee, verse 45... The Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, it says, for they too had gone to the feast. That Jesus makes not only an intentional trip to Samaria, but he makes this intentional trip to that of Galilee. So there's a couple of things to talk about this morning. The first is this, what's wrong with the welcome here? It seems like everything is fine and everything is above board. Yes, and then Jesus throws in this thought that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. It doesn't make sense that all of a sudden he's going back to Galilee. We find that they're welcoming him. They're rolling out the red carpet. They're giving him like the key to the city. There's this great and warm welcome from the Galileans. And Jesus throws into this mix of everything this statement that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. And he goes back to his hometown and they seem to be welcoming. So what am I missing? There has to be something in this narrative that I'm missing here. But it's the history that Jesus has with these people and this area uh, uh, and him being in his hometown. You say, oh, I know. I know what it is. I've heard it preached before, perhaps, if you've ever been to church for any amount of time. Well, it's this, that they can't see Jesus outside of him just being the kid Jesus. You know, they can't see him as the man Jesus. Well, that's a yes for that. And there's also a no, because there's something even more than that. And to understand really what's going on, and if we're to speak to our heart, you have to go back to John chapter 2 for a moment in verse 23. Because here's what it says. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, it's the people that he's talking about. Because it says that they had been at the Passover, had been at the feast. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. The very same people that he's meeting in Galilee. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people. He does. Hey, Jesus knows our heart, doesn't he? But not only does he know our heart, he knows our motives. Yes, that there's nothing hid to him. So whatever you brought into the room this morning that you think is absolutely a secret Can I tell you, there are no secrets with God. Wow. Nothing? No. Absolutely not. Well, I've never spoken it to anybody else in this this world. No, but God knows our heart. It goes on to say, and he proves this in verse 25, and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. They were there. And this same place where he's going now and he's arriving in Galilee... It's Cana. It's where he performed his first miracle and he turns the water into wine. It is. They're not welcome him 
what does it mean? They're not welcoming him as the incarnate Christ. They're not welcoming him as the son of God who has come to reveal the heart and the love of the Father for his children, his creation. No. They've cataloged all these things that Jesus has done. They've cataloged all the miracles that he's accomplished thus far. And so that's the substance of their welcoming. The question is, what's happening inside of them? What's happening in their own hearts, in their own lives? That's the point of Jesus' intentional visit to them that day. This is what Jesus means when he says a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. It's more than just that they see him as kid Jesus. They used to live down the street. I mean, with the high school together, we played football together, all those kinds of things, you know. It's more than that. It's more than just seeing him as the son of Mary and Joseph. No, absolutely. And if we stop there... We've absolutely missed the point of this entire narrative this morning. Jesus intentionally goes to a place where he already knows that he's going to be dishonored and rejected. He knows that. He said that back in chapter 2 about these very people. He said that back in chapter 1. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. So he intentionally goes to a place where he's dishonored and rejected. It's the picture of redemption. It's how you and I see him as Savior. And they refuse to see him as Savior. They see him as a miracle worker. Somebody that can can maybe put on a show for them. But they refuse to see him as Savior of their life. Yes. They refuse to see him as the one who entered the world to reveal the very heart of the Father and how much God loves us. They refuse to see him as the Messiah. They refuse to see him as that of the Lamb being the sacrifice for the sins of all of mankind. And that is the brush that you have to paint Jesus with this morning. Because in this journey to God today, wherever you are, whether you're just beginning or whether you're halfway, you know, or whether you're three quarters or or wherever you are in this journey with Christ, understand this, that at first has to start with him being savior of our life. If you miss that, then you've really missed who he is. And they refuse to see him as that. No, they they don't want to experience that part of Christ. They want to marvel at the miracles. That's it. But we have to start with seeing him and who he is, that he's the one that fixed the brokenness of our life. And if we start anywhere else other than him being savior of our life today, then the reality is that it leads us possibly into pride within our lives, as if you and I had something to do with redemption, as if somehow we brought something to the table for the redemption of our lives. Yes, and and it's it's like the hometown people. Somebody says, hey, you know, they're from Galilee. So where are you from? Oh, I'm from Galilee. You know, that place where that famous guy, Jesus, who does miracles is from. Yeah, we were raised together, man. We lived on the same street. We hung out in the same hood together. Yes, we went to the same high school, man. We terrorized the same teacher. We absolutely did. Yes, I know him. And it's a thing of pride. It's like, it's like for some of you yesterday, you know, kind of deal that you went to a football game or you watched it on TV or something. And, and people say, so how was the game? And you make statements like, well, we dominated is what you will say, right? Well, we dominated. We won. Did you see the pass that we threw? Like you were there on the field, right? Yes, we say that all the time. Like you were down there with a helmet on and you were with the pads on and all those kinds of things. No, absolutely not. And and it's simply when we see that we have some role in this redemptive process of our lives, 
because we fail to see Jesus as the Savior who comes into our life when we are absolutely broken and helpless within our lives, it will simply lead to pride because it makes us think that somehow, because of our goodness or our ability or our, our, our morality, that we had to something to do with our redemption. We bring nothing to the table. Nothing. We bring nothing to the table. Oh, but, but they're, they're, they're Jesus' hometown people, you know, that kind of thing. That, that they, they remember him. They, they, they remember him living in their neighborhood, yes. And if we don't start with Savior, then we somehow think that we have this part in our redemptive process. And what happens is pride separates us from grace and, and then what happens is that that leads us down the road of somehow of entitlement that we deserve this from God. No. You know, people say, I, I've said this to you so many times, but I have to say it to you at least one more time. But I'll say it many more times after this, most likely, yes, that people say to me all the time, I just want to get what I deserve. You don't want what you deserve, right? Isn't that true? You do not want what you deserve. No. No, so don't say that anymore. Erase that from your vocabulary. Hit the delete button in your brain, you know, kind of deal, and take that out of your vocabulary. But I thought about this. Is it possible to become so familiar? Is it possible to have this casual, informal relationship with Christ that we have forgotten or we fail to see who he actually is? Yes. That we come here every morning. Oh, can I get personal with you for a moment? So hang on, yeah. Like put the seatbelt on, get ready. Because we come here every morning and we worship him. You come here every morning and you hear the scriptures taught to you, whether it's me or Travis or Matthew or Nathan or whoever. You, you hear the scriptures taught to you and, and, and yet you fail to do business with the Savior. Yes, you come here with all these things going on in your life, but you fail to see him as the Savior and the Rescuer and the Lord of your life. You fail to submit and surrender your life to him or the things in your life. You fail to to see that he is God of your life, that he's sovereign and providential over every area of your life, that he came not only to redeem you of your sins, to redeem all areas of your life this morning. Yes, why? Because Because if we see God like that, if we see Jesus like that, then that makes it extremely personal in our lives. And you see, those folks that welcome me, they didn't want, want that personal thing, you know? That is, no, I want Jesus, I want to watch him like he's some cheap magician at some, you know, birthday party that you hired somewhere off the internet, you know, and they show up and, and they're dressed like a creepy clown and you always keep your hands on all your kids away from them kind of deal, right? And you're glad they're there, but you're really glad when they leave. And, and so, you know, and, and that, that's kind of the way they see Christ, that we want to see some miracles. We want to see the things that you do, man. Make a show for us, God. Come on, do all the, but they don't want a personal relationship. They don't want him in the middle of their lives. And some of you sitting here thinking, man, I'm so glad that's not me. No, that is some of you this morning. yes. You have to own that. That you show up and you enjoy the music and you enjoy the teaching, you enjoy all those kinds of things, but yet to make him personal in your life? Oh, I know about him. I I catalog a lot of information about him, but really to make him personal, to allow him to get into my life, to put his hands within the dirt of my very life. Boy, I don't want that. No, I don't want that. 
You know, I, I grew up in church, and I realize we have a mixed group here this morning. I, I understand that. And, and so if you've, if you've grown up in church, welcome. Man, we're glad that you are here. We are, and I know that you're very jacked up, you know, religiously, and you got a lot of baggage coming with you. And so we we're glad for you. If you didn't grow up in church and you're here, we know you're jacked up, too. you got a lot of stuff with you, too, right? And we're all here just kind of all jacked up together, and, and we're, we're seeking God. We're on this journey together, and, and we're looking for something to feel that place of eternity in all of our lives, and, and we struggle through in and out of that in, in our lives through, throughout our time. So we're glad that you're all here, but I grew up in church, you know, and, and, and I would always remember the pastor at the end of a lot of sermons, he would say, hey, we're going to open the altars, and if you just want a closer walk with Jesus, just come forward, you know, if that's what you want. If you want a closer walk with Jesus, just come forward. And, and I realize as the uh, kind of the older I get, the more mature I get, that that's really a frightening statement to say to people, right? Isn't it? Yes, it really is, that, that if you really want that closer walk. And I always had this in my mind of this very passive experience with Christ. Yes. I always had this in my mind, this very passive experience with Jesus. And, and, it, and I always had this kind of view when they would say that of Jesus and I kind of running along and, and we're running down this path in this beautiful mountain setting and there's daisies on one side and there's daffodils on the other kind of deal, right? And, and, and there's, there's maybe a puff of cloud in the sky here and there, but it's just an absolutely beautiful day. No, no. Can I tell you something about this walk with Christ? It is absolutely personal. It's personal. And these people don't want that. That he gets his hands in the very mess of our lives. That it's not that he's always walking with me because there are times in life that he's absolutely carrying me in life. It's the dirt path of sanctification. Yes. Yes. Where's my son Brad? He's in here somewhere. Bradley, come here, bud. You gotta, you're sitting too far back. Hurry up. Come on, hurry, run, hurry. See the clock up there? You're eating up the time. Thank you. Yes, yes. I told Brad I wanted him to help me this morning. This is my son, Bradley. He is, he is our middle child, but he doesn't have all the jacked up stuff about being a middle child. So anyway, that's it, yeah. Yes, no, I'm just kidding. I love you. Love you, buddy. All right. And so the way I've always viewed this thing about walking with Christ is this. It's like that, hey, if you want to get closer to Jesus, just come to the front. So I've always looked at this thing of, and I asked Brad if he could skip this morning, you know. And he said, yes, he can skip. So this is the way. Here, no, you've got to stand here. We're gonna, I'm Jesus, okay, I get to play the part, right? Yeah, yes. And, and, and this is the way I've always viewed it. Okay, you ready? On the count of three. One, two, three, let's go. There, that's the way I've always viewed it. Yes, 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 this is it. Let's go back, come on. This is the way. <laughs> You're weird when you skip, buddy. You know, that's not the way you skip. That's not the way you skip, right? You haven't skipped in 20 years. You need to be a child again, son. Yes. But what I realize in most of our lives, that's not the way it is, right? Isn't that true? That's not the way it is. Yes. But here's the way that I realize that many times in my life, this is my relationship with the Lord. You ready? Yeah. <laughs> this is it right here. This is it. Yes. Yes. True, isn't that right? Oh, okay. Whew. Thank you. Love you, bud. You go. Thank you. Yes. Hey, you have to do that again, too, next service, so just be ready. And, and so what I, what I realized is there's this great contrast, and we're going to see that in a moment. There's this great contrast here about these people who welcome him, and we've seen that this is this one wonderful, warm welcome, but really they don't 
They, they, they just want Jesus to perform for them. But they don't want a relationship with him. Because they want to skip through the, you know, down the path with the daffodils and the daisies, but yet they don't, they don't want this thing of when, when your life is really in shambles that he's in the middle of the dirt of your life. And he loves you. And he forgives you. And he's come to redeem your life. So look at the, and here's the contrast. You ready? It's verse 46. It says, so he came again to Canaan and Galilee where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. In the middle of the narrative is another narrative. And I love this. Only John could write it this way. And when this man, um, and when this man heard that Jesus had come from Galilee or Judea to Galilee, that he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, now for a moment, a little bit of grammatical context for you so you can understand this. That it says when Jesus said to him, the word him is plural. So he's saying this to the whole group. Understand this. He's not picking him out because he's come to Jesus with a desire need for his son to be healed. And you're going to think that Jesus' response is extremely rude. But no, he's actually, it's a test. He's speaking to everyone's heart there who responds. It's going to be very interesting. So it's a, very, it's a plural statement. So Jesus said to him, to all there, unless you, everyone there, see signs and wonders, you will not believe. He's speaking to all of them. But there's something very different about this official that day. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. So here's the second thought. True faith almost always begins with discontentment within our life. It is. I think it's important for us to understand the characters that are here in this, in this narrative. There's a difference between them that what happens when grace and faith collide. That's what this is. Because you have these hometown people and they're not seeing the Savior. They don't desire that kind of relationship with him at all. And then you see this official. He needs a miracle, a miracle within his life. And he, and he connects with the heart of God in such a powerful way. We're going to see in a moment. Who is this guy? Well, historians tell us that he is a member of King Herod's court. Herod, Herod, who is not a benevolent king, he is not a nice guy at all. He marries his brother's wife. He cuts off, he cuts off John the Baptist's head to please his own daughter. He's an extremely evil man, and that's simply the court in which this official works in. So there is faith and there is grace colliding in this story this morning. So what we understand about the book of John, it teaches two things about faith, that there's faulty faith. And, and it, boy, the last couple of chapters that we've gone through, it's that, yes, that, you know, you say, my Mark, I'm not from Jesus' hometown, so how does this apply to me this morning? Because this is about believing without believing, is what this is about. Yes, that they're intrigued with the shadows of who Jesus is, but they're not in love with the substance of who Christ is, because that's extremely personal, it's what the Samaritans in this same chapter, a few verses before, it's what they do and they don't do with the woman at the well, that whole experience. Because in chapter 4, the first part of the woman at the well in Samaria, Jesus doesn't do any miracles. And the, simply the town comes to him and many of them believe and they beg him to stay for two days to simply tell them because she goes to the townspeople, this woman from the well, and she says, listen, you got to come and see the man who's told me everything about my life. Yet he does not even condemn me. No, it, they believe because it's personal. And we've seen faulty faith in, in, in the life of Nicodemus. 
who simply is appalled at the idea of being born again. We see that in the people who want to discuss baptism and debate that. Listen, we've seen all of this so far in that of people want to debate worship and liturgy of worship. Yes, and when we fail to focus on Jesus as being Savior of our lives, then all of those side issues become our experience. That's important. Because some of you, your experience with God is about, well, it's about music. It is. Yes. Well, what do you mean? Well, this let us play the wrong music one Sunday morning and you find another church because it's based on that. It is. Oh, Mark, you're getting dangerous. I know, but hang on because it's going to get better. So we don't like the way churches govern. So, so you know that, that well, I'm going to go to, I'm, because that is what your experience is based upon, structure. Hey, some of you don't like me or you don't like someone else that's up here or you don't like who's singing. It's based on personalities. And that is what your experience is based upon. Understand this. The beauty and the glory of Christ is more than enough for your life. Because we can allow the shadows to become the substance of our life and miss the true substance of what true faith is all about. That's faulty faith. So what is true faith? Oh, it's the official from Herod's court. You think, oh, this is exactly what I mean about where grace and faith collide. Because only the Holy Spirit can move upon John to write this verse to cause you and I to really think through this thing. Because here is what's happening. Yes, that these are, these are Jesus' homies, is what they are. They're, they're his homies. That, that's exactly what they are. And they're satisfied with just being that. That They're satisfied. They're content with just being that. They're content with just being from Jesus' hometown. Simply, they're content with just going to the, have gone to the same church that he attended, maybe. Absolutely. Miracles are like a cheap sh- sideshow to all of them. Yes. But this official from Herod's court, oh, he's not content with just knowing Christ. Understand, with just knowing about him. He's not content with just knowing about who he is. Listen, because he already knows that. He approaches him. There's something very powerful about what happens in this relationship and this conversation between the two of them. He knows who Jesus is. The others, they don't have a desire to know who he is. That's exactly what it is. And so the primary thing about this person's life, even being a member of Herod's court, is that that knowing Christ comes before what Christ does, and that is true faith. That's true faith. Verse 48 says, So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you'll not receive. The official said to him, Sir, come down before uh, my child dies. Hey, can you go with me to pray for him? Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. He asked Jesus to come. Jesus says, No, I'm not going to go, but you go, you go. I'm simply going to give you the word. And what does he do? He simply realizes who Christ is by what Jesus speaks, and he understands that when you speak, sovereignly like Christ spoke that he is God and at that moment there's a transition in that man's life from just cataloging information about Christ and or just seeing him as a miracle worker to understanding that he is God you see there's a test here I said he, Jesus never tempts us to sin because in him there is no darkness at all. But there is a test and he does that. The test is for our good. He already knows our heart. But it's for us to see the very content of our own lives. Yes. 
that what I realize is that Jesus is committed to my success. And in the failures of my life, he's always there with grace and forgiveness and reconciliation. But God tests us for those moments of growth in our life. Jesus says, hey, go, your son will live. He never even says your son is healed. He says, go and your son will live. And the member of Herod's court, maybe even a Gentile, some historians absolutely say, he doesn't stop for clarification, but he obeys the word of God. Because he knows who he is by how sovereignly he speaks. That's true faith. Oh, it's not based upon me. Uh, yes, there, there is some works involved. Absolutely. And, and what I realize is that works does not produce faith, but faith produces works in our lives. So, so there is some action that is involved. We'll talk about that in a moment. But Hebrews 11 and 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen, that the foundational element of faith is that of a a discontented heart. It is. There has to be something better in life. There has to be something more in my life. Yes. To hope in something as this writer uses the word hope means that my current situation, my state of life, is in a state of discontentment. So if you have hope, then the current state of things in your life is unsatisfactory. You're not just satisfied with telling people you grew up in the same town with Jesus. That you're not satisfied. You're not content with that. The foundational element of faith in our life is a discontented heart. It is. And for those of you that have attended church any any amount of time, you think, that sounds so wrong, Mark. That does, because aren't we supposed to be content? But the reality is that you're here because there is some discontent in your life. You're looking for something better. You're searching for something more in life. You're looking for something that is going to fix the brokenness of your own life. Yes. So some of you are here sitting and you're you're saying, listen, your marriage, you, you know what your marriage is today? Oh, sometime in the future, maybe it could be better. Yes. It could be something that it's not today. So I hope for that. Your financial situation in life, that, that you know, it's one thing today, but I'm hoping that someday it's something different. It's discontentment. It's what stirs our hearts this morning. And this member of Herod's court, oh, how does he stand up in the middle of all the townspeople? They know who he is. He stands out. They have to know exactly who he is. How does he stand up and how does he have this conversation with Jesus after Jesus has just said what he said about seeking signs because there's no place else for him to go? There has to be something better than losing my son that he recognizes Not that Jesus is a miracle worker, but he recognizes that Jesus is life and truth and all he has to do is speak the word because if he didn't, if he didn't realize and understand that, then he would have questioned Jesus after Jesus has said, go, your son will live. But he never says a thing, but he goes because he knows that the word of a sovereign God is enough. I think one of the worst things that could happen to some of you in this room is you become content. Really. Is you become content. That you're content with just some great stories about Christ. You're content with just studying through the book of John so you kind of know a little more about Jesus. 
you're very content by telling people that you grew up on the same street that he did kind of deal, you know? And if you're really going out and telling people that, then something's really wrong at that point. Yes, yes, absolutely, yes. You're, you're content with telling people that you hung out with him when, when you were a teenager. All of, Listen, discontentment leads us to pressing into God. It makes it personal. It makes it personal in our lives. It's very possible to believe without believing. And I think that for some of you, you're there this morning. Some of you are there. Can I finish the story with you? Verse 50. Thank you. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and he went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the, he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. You know, what is, he's connecting the dots. It's so human, isn't it? Wouldn't you want to know that? Yeah, I really want to know that, right? Yes, somebody said, well, that means nothing to me. All I want to know is my son is better. But he's connecting the dots. The father knew that it was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live, and he himself believed in all of his household because the substance results in belief. And there was now, or this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. The third and the final thought this morning is this, that Jesus responds to our broken faith with the miracle of healing. That someone in the crowd, you know, that day I, I had this kind of, Imagine, imagination, my imagination is working, as you know, it works a lot. And, and so my imagination is kind of working about this whole setting. And, and, I, and I see this crowd, and they're welcoming Jesus, and they have the band out there and, the, and all those kinds of things. And they're welcoming back to Galilee. And there's, there's this big crowd that's gathered. And all of a sudden, this man, who is probably dressed a little better than everybody else in the room because he's a member of Herod's in the, on the street on Herod's court. And so he stands up in the middle of all of this, and he begins to have this conversation with Jesus. And probably somebody must have said, or they must have thought, this is absolutely absurd for this man to talk to him like that absolutely because he had opened his heart to christ they had only opened their arms to christ and someone probably thought hey don't waste a miracle on this guy we want to see you do a miracle for us because he's a member of herod's court and herod is a wicked king this is absurd you know i've never heard such of a thing we're going to take back the key of the city you can't have that anymore we're going to roll up the red carpet no because this is just not right jesus always works outside of that of logic doesn't he Absolutely what we think, well, that would be right and perfect in our own mind. Jesus works outside of that. He speaks a miracle into the life of a young boy 15 miles away in another town to the son of a member of Herod's court. And, and this, is, this is simply the collision of grace and faith is what this is. Absolutely. That this journey that you and I are on, it's not about perfection. Understand that. But it's about the process. That Jesus loves us in the process, not just the finished product of our life. John 1.16 says that we read this before, for from fullness we have all received grace upon grace. That faith is not stagnant. It's not some stagnant thing within our lives. It's not, you know, well, God's going to take care of this. So I'm just going to sit over here and I'm going to kind of post on Instagram waiting on Jesus, you know, kind of thing, right? Yes, and, and, and that's what I'm going to do and just see what happens. No, the official is never called out by Jesus 
He presses into Christ. Understand that. He starts the 15-mile journey back to his son because Jesus has spoken a word as a sovereign God to him. When we have a clear picture of who Jesus is in our life, then you know he is sovereign and all you need is a word from him. Hebrews 11 and 32, this this chapter about faith says, And what more shall I say from time, for time would fail me to tell of of Gideon and Barak and, and Samson and Jephthah and of David and of Samuel and all the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms and they enforced justice and they obtained promises and they stopped the mouths of lions. This is about movement for you and I. It's about movement upon our part. Understand, he believed the word that Jesus spoke and then he moved in obedience to that. Understand that. It's not that he had to have a miracle. The miracle was 15 miles away from him. And there was no FaceTime, right? Yes. So nobody was FaceTiming him from home saying, hey, look, here's the kid. He's up. Look at him. He's hungry. He wants a meal. It's after- No, he doesn't know until he meets some, one of his servants on the way back somewhere between that in that 15-mile journey. Absolutely. No, it's about movement upon our parts. It's about knowing who we are. And who he is. And that's where the journey starts. Because if the journey doesn't start there for you and I, then we tend to lean into ourselves and not into Christ. It's where grace and faith collide. Grace reminds me that what God does in my life is undeserving and it's unmerited. That I will never be good enough. I will never chalk up enough points to deserve any of those kinds of things. That I am limited and sinful, but yet faith pushes me into him because I know that he is sinless and he is he is he has unlimited power. He is limitedless. And I have faith that he has the answer to the discontentment of my life of all of them. After putting this together, I, I, I was reading some things this week, and, and, I, and I have to quote John Piper. I love him, and, and I, I have to quote this text, and, and, it, and it says that, well, you know, I have to say that I don't agree with everything, okay? I know you like to challenge me on some of those things in recent light of science, and that is fine. You know, in, in my, I had an old preacher one time I, that I, I knew years ago. He said that you always, like, eat the meat and throw away the bones. So, you know, you got to pick through things, right? And, and so I, I, I read this quote, and I have, to, I have to, to share it with you this morning because it applies so well to this very text as he was referring to this. And it says that same mindset that was of the Galileans can be in us. He said that we are so familiar with the Bible and with Jesus and with Christianity that it can't shock us. That he cannot do anything really mind-blowingly powerful because he's too familiar. And when you look through the verses that we've studied together through the book of John, John reminds us continually. He reminds us continually this is God among us. That this is God among us. It's not a great teacher or, or, or a, some super prophet. No, no, it, it's not that. It's not even focusing on the thing of being a healer, all those kinds of things. But this is God among us. And that is the part that we have to understand and grasp this morning because that is the part that changes our life today. 
that we can become so familiar with coming here every week and listening to the songs and, and doing all, all the things we do and giving the offering and, 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 and serving and filling your position and, and going through all of the duty that you have, so to speak, and you can become so familiar with him that I think that you miss the awesome moments with him. He is God. And he's here. He's here in this place this morning. And, and when you leave, he, he walks with you. Absolutely. Yeah. And sometimes it's not a skip like we did this morning so ridiculously. I understand that, right? Yes. It's not that. But sometimes it's, it's the dead man drag like we did also. that he, he drags us along in life when we are struggling in life. That is it. But I think that sometime for some of us in this room, perhaps many of us in this room, that we've had this casual familiarity with him. And all of a sudden, our view of him as being sovereign and providential, the God and creator of all the universe, the savior of our life, the redeemer of our very hearts, has escaped us. I think it's something that we all have to think about. So every week I give you two questions. What does God want me to know? Oh, that I can be familiar with him and miss knowing him and experiencing him. What does God really want me to do? Make this journey personal, I wrote. Make this journey personal with him. To make my relationship with Jesus personal. And that starts with acknowledging him as who he is. As he's a sovereign and providential God. And then the next step for me is after acknowledging that is living in who he is. Did I live in who he is? Well, how do I do that? Boy, I'm glad you ask. Because here it is. That I make scripture like food of my life. That I eat every day. And so I should eat from the word of God every day. Right? that I have conversation with God sometimes we call it prayer right yes but it's a conversation with our father that I take those pauses in the day of my life those moments between events or activities and I talk to God Mark, I'm not doing really good with a 5 a.m. getting up kind of thing because I keep going to sleep on him. You know, kind of deal, right? Yes? Beautiful thing is he never goes to sleep on you. (laughs) Yeah. Take those moments in the day to talk to him. To understand that obedience is joy. We talked about that last week. Why? Because I know his heart. You see, all those people that welcomed him that day in Galilee would see obedience as simply being, oh my gosh, there's another list of rules and other things to do. We already got the law, now we have this. But they don't know his heart. They don't want that personal relationship. So it's duty to them. But when I know his heart, obedience is joy. And then I just simply emulate the Samaritan woman at the well. But Mark, she had five husbands. She's living with a guy because she just has to have a roof over her head. I know. Don't emulate that part, okay? Right? But the other part is this, that when she experiences personally the heart of God, she leaves Jesus, she goes to the town and says, hey, you gotta come and see the man who's told me everything about my life. And it's changed me. He never condemned me. 
but it's changed. You see, that's making this Jesus personal in your life. Yeah. What if he never performed another miracle? You ever thought about that? What if he sent us all an email? You know, because he, I mean, he has us all, right? What if he sent us all an email and said, hey, no more miracles done, you know? And the next one will be that of when you're with me for eternity in heaven, so no more now. And, and can I tell you, would just him being Jesus be enough in your life? Because for those people in Galilee, it wasn't. But he's enough. He is enough. So bow your heads for a moment with me this morning. For a moment of prayer and reflection. Father, you've challenged us this morning with your word, with the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. God, that you've, you've spoken to us from this narrative that many times that we kind of brush over because it lies in the shadow of the powerful story of you meeting this Samaritan woman at the well. But God, we have to look in this story and we have to answer the question, who are we? What part are we playing in this drama? Are we just coming to celebrate all the wonderful things that you have done and desiring you to do more? Or God, are we like the undeserving somewhat outsider, the official from Herod's court, who that day, God, experienced your heart. To that day, understood that you were sovereign and providential, that you're God, standing right before him. And made things very personal. So, Lord, speak to us this morning as to what part we're playing in the drama today. And truly draw us close to you. Draw us close to you today, Father. As we submit and surrender our lives to you. Lord, let this be a day that we walk away from this service saying that the day I truly made this relationship with God personal. So thank you, Father, that you are a miracle-working God. And Lord, we don't ever want to devalue that, that just us being here, we're miracles, Lord. And there's miracles of healing and provision. We know that, Father, and you will continue that. But God, more than that, we want to know your heart. We want to know you in a greater way. So let that journey begin for us this morning. In your name.